0: Welcome back to 40 Minutes This is the second episode of 40 Minutes And today we will be doing four more interesting topics that deal with sports Just like last week, I'm going to try to be doing four topics each and every week Try to get them to be around 7 to 10, 11, 12 minutes So we can get to 40 minutes total after the third after the first podcast that I made that I made, I wasn't sure if I would do this again. But getting some feedback from trusted people, I figured why not keep going with this and kind of see where it goes. With that being said, the first topic today that I am going to discuss will be the NFL draft, which is going to be coming up on April twenty fifth, which is this Thursday. In this segment, I'm going to try to discuss two teams that I really think need to draft well on Thursday, and one team who I think needs to draft a quarterback with their first or second round selection in the draft. The draft, like I said, is going to be on Thursday. There is a lot of teams that I think need to draft well, but the two that really, really stick out to me are going to be the Houston Texans and Oakland Raiders. Now, with Houston... Houston already has a franchise quarterback that is established right now in their in their system right now, Deshaun Watson. Um, Watson's a very, very good player. At Clemson, obviously, he won a national championship. His first couple seasons with the Texans have been pretty well pretty good. His first season obviously cut short because of a torn ACL. Last season, I think he posted numbers of 26 and 10, somewhere around their t- touchdowns to pick ratio. His first season was off the charts. He set a bunch of different records, so I think they have their franchise quarterback there. They have an all-pro receiver in um, DeAndre Hopkins, who I personally think is the best receiver in the league. He's very, very talented, commands a lot of different double teams, can make a lot of contested catches. He also led the league last year in pass interference and holding penalties drawn. I think they have a good running back, Lamar Miller. He is not the best at his position, or even top ten in the league. Last year, he still managed to, I think, get close to a thousand yards. I think he had nine fifty, nine sixty, nine seventy range, even with missing two games. So, with the two games that he missed, um, if he did have played, I think he would have easily eclipsed that a thousand yard number. He is a smaller back. He's a pretty good receiving back as well. So, I think that helps him. The Texans also had a pretty good defense last year. It was ranked top 15 in every important defensive category, which was rush defense, pass defense, takeaways. It seems like every single year they have a really good defense under Romeo Cornell. Now, one of the big things with the Texans that a lot of people probably have noticed, but if you didn't watch a lot of the Texans last year, you wouldn't have noticed. The Texans last year allowed over 60 sacks last year. I think that the exact number was 62 sacks, which was most in the NFL. I think the second highest was the Cowboys at like the 55-56 range, 57, somewhere like that, somewhere around that range. So the Texans definitely have some cleaning up to do on the offensive line. That is one of the weakest points on their team, definitely the weakest, I think. Deshaun Watson was also hit last year 126 times, was also led the NFL it seemed like every time he dropped back to pass, the guy was getting hit or he was getting hurried by different blitzes, offensive alignment, interior alignment on the opposing team. So that's one thing that I really need to emphasize. With the Texans giving up 62 sacks last year, which was a franchise record for them, they still were able to manage over 400 points, which was, I think, 10th, 11th, 12th best in the league last year. So even with their awful offensive line, the Texans really were able to score the ball. Um, I know in the AFC South, some of the defenses there, besides the Jags, because so the Jags do have a good defense, but the Titans and um, the Colts, not the best defensive teams. But they still were able to manage 400, um, which is a pretty good number for them, 11th best. Um, and that number is pretty much due to the fact that they have Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, those two guys are Pro Bowl players, and, and Deshaun Watson is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league in the next couple of years, even though right now, I mean, I still think he's definitely a top 15 quarterback right now. Moving along with this, the Texans have three picks inside the top fifty five They have a first rounder and they have two second rounders um, with these picks, like I said, they really need to emphasize offensive linemen, whether it's interior alignment or it's tackles for them. They really have to emphasize the offensive line. this is one of their this is the weakest point on their team and if they want to be really considered as a super Bowl contender, they have to get this fixed. I think without them going. After any big-time offensive lineman or trading for any big-time offensive lineman during the free agency period, this first-rounder will definitely be an offensive lineman. Uh, I'm not really sure who will be there when they're selecting. I've seen Jonah Williams from Alabama on a ton of mocks for them. Um, He's an offensive lineman. He will definitely help them. So whoever it may be, I think they will be getting an offensive lineman with this first pick. One thing that the Texans must also look to add, along with the offensive line, is they need to find a safety somewhere in this draft after losing out on Tyron Matthew in free agency. Tyron ended up going to uh, the Chiefs in free agency. Uh, It's a big big sign for the Chiefs. That'll definitely help their secondary and defense as a whole. Getting a playmaker in the secondary is going to be hard to find for the Texans. Um, last year they actually were able to find a pretty good playmaker in the secondary when they added Justin Reed from, um, Stanford in the third round. He definitely helped their secondary when he was able to play. He didn't really play at the start of the season, but in the second half of the season, he kind of blossomed and showed the Texans that he's definitely a starting safety in the league. So getting a secondary help, getting a, uh, getting a safety in the secondary is something that they really, really need to add alongside with their offensive line. Cause right now those are kind of the two weak points for the Texans from kind of permitting them to being on the cusp of of being a Super Bowl contender. I think the Texans, again, will most likely win that division. I think them and the Colts are kind of neck and neck. So with the Texans adding those two things, I think that's going to kind of put them over the top Um, and kind of being on the cusp of that Super Bowl contender, like I said. Now, the next team that I want to move on to is the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Oakland kind of had a busy offseason here. They added Brandon Marshall, one of the linebackers from Denver. They added Vontaze Berfect from Cincinnati. They got LaMarcus Joyner on a pretty good deal from the Rams. LaMarcus Joyner is an awesome safety. If you didn't watch the Rams much, he's, he's a good, talented safety. He can play in the nickel slot. He can play outside corner. He can play in the box. And he can play either safety position. So that was a nice add for Oakland. And he is a good playmaker, like I mentioned. Uh, Oakland right now. Really isn't in that win now mode. Um, they did trade for Antonio Brown, who is obviously a top three receiver. A lot of people think he is the best. He is thirty years, thirty years old, and I'm not really sure how many high levels he has left. Even though he hasn't slowed down recently in the last couple of years, Oakland cannot mess this draft. Cannot mess this draft up. They have four picks inside of the top 20, inside of the top thirty five. Some of those picks obviously accumulating from the Khalil Mack trade three of them accumulating from the Mack trade and the other one accumulating from the Amari Cooper trade to Dallas, which seems like it could be a win for both sides. Trading Mack was seen as a disaster as the Raiders traded away a top-ten player in the NFL. He is a premier pass rusher, premier player, I think, besides Aaron Donald and Von Miller. He is definitely... the third best third best defensive player in the league, and there's a strong argument for second best even in front of Von Miller. They need to hit a home run on two or three of these first-round picks, um, and I think that will help with the healing process and make it a little bit easier for Raiders fans who are still kind of devastated from them trading a premier player, like I mentioned, in Mac. Oakland, what they need to draft in this first round is they have to draft an interior lineman, or an edge rusher, or possibly even both, with two out of their first three picks, or two out of the top thirty-five picks that they have, they need to do this. Uh, they they gave up one hundred and forty rushing yards per game last year, which was thirtieth out of thirty-two teams in the NFL. It, it was not very, it was not good at all to see the Raiders um try to stop the run, even trying even for them to try to get any sort of pass rush. On opposing teams, it was not fun to watch as a Raiders fan. The Raiders only accumulated 13 sacks, which is the lowest by a landslide in the league last year. Uh, to put it in perspective, the next lowest team for the sack ratio was the Giants at 30. The Giants had 30 sacks. The Raiders only accumulated 13. 17 less sacks from the worst defensive line to the second worst defensive line that is a big deal now they're gonna have a chance at probably quinn and williams from alabama defensive tackle a lot of people um have said that they think he could potentially be the best player in the whole entire draft so them getting him them getting him at four would be very nice josh allen from kentucky josh allen from kentucky kentucky was not televised a lot this season um, I think in large part because they were they were expected to be one of the lower half of the SEC teams. They were actually they actually had a good season. in Kentucky uh, they were ranked twenty five. They were ranked in the top twenty five for a majority of the season. I think at the end of the season they were ranked there too. So Josh Allen is definitely somebody who the Raiders could take and be happy about. He is a very very good edge rusher and would help them immensely. At Oliver from Houston, a lot of people at the beginning of the year were projecting him to go the first or second pick. Oakland getting him at four, I think, would be a very, very good selection for them as well. Uh Nick Bosa, I know, has been kind of on some mocks in that top five range. I don't think there's any way he gets past the Jets at three. A lot of mocks have him going two to the Niners. So with that four pick, they're probably not going to have a chance at Nick Bosa. Along with taking a defensive lineman with the fourth and possibly twenty-fourth pick, Oakland may want to go running back or even linebacker. The the running backs that they currently have on their roster, uh, DeAndre Washington, Isaiah Crowell, the type of backs that they have right now are not backs that you kind of see as long term starting backs. Even though I know Isaiah Crowell has been bouncing in and out of the, in and out of different organizations the last couple of years, so a running back may be something that they really need to take with that third first round pick. I've seen Josh Jacobs on some mocks from Alabama as well as somebody who they could take. And for the linebacker position here. I found this to be interesting with the Raiders, the three starting linebackers that are currently on top of the Raiders depth chart. None of them were ranked even in the above average column on pro football focus for their grades uh, last season. Burfect and Brandon Marshall, like I mentioned, were good upgrades for the Raiders at the linebacker position. Brandon Marshall is a good linebacker in coverage. Fontes Burfect, not so much. He, he can kind of get picked on in pass coverage. Both of those guys are getting up there in age. They're both 29 years old, or Burfect's going to be turning 29. So, the, looking at a possible linebacker would be something that the Raiders need to look at. It also did come out today that the Raiders are planning a surprise at the number four overall pick. Um, I'm not really sure what could be going on in the minds of Mayock, Mike Mayock, the GM there, and John Gruden. I don't know what kind of surprise we can be in store for. I really hope the Raiders don't think about selecting a quarterback because Derek Carr, I think, is a more than established quarterback in this league. He has good numbers each and every year. He's been in the league. I know the season after... His injury there was a little shaky, but Derek Carr is established. I think with Antonio Brown, that's going to help him a lot. Tyrell Williams, J.J. Nelson, different guys that can stretch the field. I think that is going to help him. So not going away from a defensive line player is something that I really hope the Raiders do not do. The last team that I do want to talk about, and this is not really a team that I think needs to hit a home run, but one team that I really think needs to draft a quarterback in the first or second round is the Washington Redskins. Now with the Redskins last year, before Alex Smith was hurt, the Redskins were 6-3, and three, I, th- I believe. They were 6-3, and three, yes. Um, Alex Smith was injured in the Texans game that, was- that Washington played against Houston. They ended up losing that game. Without Alex Smith, Colt McCoy came in. He led a pretty good comeback. They ended up losing by three at home. Without Alex Smith, the Redskins last year went 1-6. and six. Now, at the point before Alex Smith got hurt, the Redskins were 6-3. and three. They were in first place in the NFC East. I don't know how many people actually thought they were going to win the division. Um, but the year that the Redskins did win the division, a few years back with... Um, the quarterback there from Minnesota, what's his name there? Um, Kirk Cousins, when they did win the division with Kirk Cousins, a lot of people didn't see that happening either. With the Alex Smith injury, there have been reports from Washington that they don't even know if Alex Smith is ever going to play football again. I don't know if what's going to be happening with that. His injury was a compound fracture in his leg, so it was pretty severe. He is definitely expected to miss the whole entire upcoming season for the Redskins, so that is going to hurt. The Redskins went out and they traded for Case Keenum this offseason. Keenum is not the Redskins long term solution plan, I don't think, and I don't think anyone else thinks that. He is getting older in age here. Last year he was at the Broncos. He was okay. The year before that with the Vikings, he was pretty solid because he had Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, um, and Adam Thielen. So I mean that's pretty I think that's pretty much the reason why he had good numbers with the Vikings there. Like I said, 31 years old, he's getting up there in age. I don't think he's a long-term solution there for the Redskins. The Redskins had a top-half defense in the league last year. They were ranked top 15 in pretty much every important statistical defensive category. They had a solid defense, and they got even stronger when they added a... Our, argument, our, our, our safety that is arguably top five in the league in Landon Collins to a massive deal in the free agency period, Landon Collins is going to help their secondary. They did end up losing DJ Swearinger because of what happened last year with the defensive coordinator there. But an upgrade from Landon Collins is definitely something that the Redskins, um, will, that will definitely help them even already with a good defense. They don't have the best weapons on offense. I I know that the receivers are are a little bit shaky and what they have there. Josh I I, they're kind of looking at him to kind of turn things around and see where he goes from there. I know that his hands are kind of shaky. He's been in and out with injuries. Jordan Reed, he gets hurt almost every single year, even though he's really, really talented. So potentially adding a few weapons in this draft in the later round could be something that Washington also thinks to do. Darius guys coming off a torn ACL will also help the offense as well. He was projected to be their starting back last year before they went out and got AP. So he will definitely also help them and their offense when he comes back, and he should be ready to go by the start of, by the start of the season. Now the Redskins have 15th pick in the first round, and they have a second round pick, I think, which is in the 45, 46, 47, 48 range, somewhere around there. At the 15th pick, the Redskins could be looking at possibly getting a chance at Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State or Drew Locke from Missouri. I think either one of those guys would be a good pick for the Redskins. I think Haskins more so than Drew Locke. I know Haskins has been rumored to go to the Giants there and a couple other teams within that 9, 10, 11, 12 range. So Haskins, I think at 15, would be a very, very good pick for the Redskins. Haskins is a... He's a good pocket passer when he kind of gets out of the pocket. Um, He can be a little Iraq, but he does make good throws on the runs as well. I know a lot of people have been kind of saying that he's not really mobile and things like that, but a couple games last year at Ohio State, he really wasn't asked to run that much, but when he did run um, in the Urban Meyer type of system that he had, he he did have good running games, so that mobility thing I don't think is that much of an issue. He like I said, he's he is accurate with the football. He doesn't really turn the ball over that much. Urban Meyer the other day said that he's one of the most accurate passes that he's ever had to coach. So I think Haskins at 15 would be very nice for the for the Redskins. Another possibility for them waiting until the second round for that 45, 46, 47, 48. They could land someone like a Will Greer, possibly from West Virginia, or possibly trading back up earlier into the second round to take Greer is something that could be done for them. Will Greer has not been seen as going to a lot of teams in the first round. There has been some chatter of teams in the first round taking him, but them taking him in the second round, I think would be nice for the Redskins as well, if they kind of want to look at possibly adding a franchise quarterback for the future i think he would be very good for them he is a winner uh at florida he was a winner at west virginia he was a winner he is a very more than capable nfl quarterback in the right system so washington possibly taking him in the second round is something that could potentially happen as well because the need for a quarterback and not knowing what's going to happen really with alex smith And the next topic here that I am going to discuss is going to be the MLB season so far. The MLB season has been underway here for a few weeks now. And we've seen a few different things from a few different teams here. We've seen, starting off with the Yankees, we've seen a bunch of injuries happen to them. The Yankees started off the season as the World Series favorite in a lot of people's eyes. I think right now they currently have 11 to 12 guys out. On the IL list, um, it is the DL list. I'm not sure why it was changed, but it's called the IL list now. They got 11 to 12 guys out, and they found a way to hover and be above the 500 record margin, which is pretty crazy considering all the injuries that they do have to all the star players they currently have and one of their best pitchers right now. It's crazy to think about, but the young guys are getting a chance to play, and they're taking advantage of it. Another team, the Red Sox, who look to be in this extreme hangover type of situation still following the 2018 season, where they were World Series champions. I'm not sure why they are struggling so badly, because they returned a lot of their players, especially in their in their lineup. They did lose some guys in their bullpen, but they are in a, stu- they are in a slump still right now. Chris Sale has been very, very bad so far. He dropped another game today to the Tigers. He is currently 0-5, his ERA is above 8. The two starts that I have watched him his command seems to be all over the place. He is a very high strikeout pitcher and that's not even seeming to go his way. It's extremely shocking to me considering that he is definitely a top 10 pitcher in the league. I don't think there's really any argument about that. It's crazy to think about possibly they've rate the ship here in the next couple weeks, but we'll see. Another team that I want to point out so far has been the Twins. The Minnesota Twins have looked really good so far. They got a lot of nice bats in their lineup. I think they're extremely underrated and could be a potential dark horse in the playoffs if they got in and they add some sort of pitching i know their their ace there jose barrios is very very talented he's got a lot of good stuff he's regarded as one of the best young pitchers in the league besides him after that their staff is a little shaky so if they add a pitching if they add some sort of pitching they could be a real nice potential dark horse if they could make the playoffs it may be difficult for them because i know the indians are still the king of the al central there and they're still kind of loaded so for them to make the playoffs it be really, really nice. Now, the one thing I do want to point out with the Twins that's kind of crazy to think about is they spent really, really wisely in the offseason. They added Nelson Cruz from the Mariners, Jonathan Swot from the Orioles, CJ Crown from the Angels, and Marvin Gonzalez from the Astros. They added all four of those guys who are going to be in their lineup every single day for a total of $37 million, which is kind of crazy to think about. Four, four starting players that are going to be in your lineup every day for $37 million. The, the even more crazy thing about that is the four guys that added that who are going to be in their lineup every single day for $37 million, Altogether, last year, hit 104 home runs, um, which is very good, very productive for four players in your lineup. I know Cruz there is a solid 30 home runs every single year. So that's pretty solid considering what they got him for. That's a pretty good bargain, I would say. Another surprise that I have right now, and it is the biggest surprise so far in the MLB season, has to be what the Mariners have done in Seattle. The Mariners lost Cano to the Mets, Cruz, to the Twins, like I mentioned, Edwin Diaz, to the Mets as well, who's arguably a top-five closer in the league. Some may even think he's top three. They lost James Paxton to the Yankees, a very, very good left-handed pitcher who's pitched who's pitched very well for the Yankees his last two outings. But like I said, he's very talented. And they even lost Gene Segura, who was traded to the Phillies. He was an all-star last year, and he's a very, very good shortstop. Some, some would even say he's a top-five shortstop in the league. He's very talented. They've jumped out to the lead in the AL West right now in front of the Astros who've been on fire the last couple of days here, their best hitter in their lineup is probably Edwin Encarnacion, which is kind of crazy to think about. Now, Ed Encarnacion has been well-known around the league. He's a 30 home run guy. He has over 90 RBIs every year. Not the best average, but it's kind of silly to think that he would be the best player on their team for a team that has jumped out to such a good start. They're constructed of guys like D. Gordon, who gets on base, he steals bases, he scores a lot of runs, and Carnacion, like I mentioned. Tim Beckham, who's from the Orioles. Domingo Santana, who was kind of in and out of the lineup with the Brewers last year. Guys you don't really hear much about. The one person in Seattle that you do need to know about because they're off to to such a good start is Mitch Haniger. He's extremely talented, and I think he's very underrated in the MLB. If you do not watch Seattle, because I know they're on the West Coast there, you wouldn't really know who he is. But if you do get a chance to watch Seattle play, you can see what he is capable of doing. Last year, he batted in the 280s, hit somewhere around 25 home runs, 90 RBIs. So far this season, I think that Mariners fans had more expectations of him. He's off to pretty slow start so far I think he's got around 8 15 16 17 18 19 20 RBI somewhere around that range 6 7 home runs he's off to a slow start but I think he'll get it going he's very underrated and like I said if you ever get a chance to watch him definitely do so if you get a chance to watch a Mariners game their pitching is kind of constructed of guys that you really haven't heard of either Mike Leake. Not very talented. Felix Hernandez, King Felix, he's lost his stuff over the years, progressively getting worse and worse. And Marcos Gonzalez, who has been a very, very surprise so far in the MLB, um, dating talking about pitching he's 3-0 so far his ERA is in the 3-3-4-3-5 range it's kind of crazy to think about he is off to a very very good start I don't expect Seattle to keep up this toward pace that they're on scoring a bunch of runs every game pitching pretty well bullpen seems pretty good even though they lost Hunter Strickland for a while he's on the DL there for a while but it's kind of surprising to see what they are the record that they have, given that the current situation the current roster that they currently have as well. Now, with another team that you shouldn't be so shocked about so far this season, that I really, really want to talk about because I like their team a lot is the Tampa Bay Rays. They're first in the AL East right now, which probably is a shock to a lot of people. I'm not really shocked about this at all. I think they're seven games over five hundred. Yeah, fifteen and eight. Yep, they're fifteen and eight they finished last season red hot after the ulster break they went 41 and 25 after the break they were um they had one of the best records in the mlb in the month of september which kind of helped them back into the al wild card race they fell a few games short in the al wild card race i think they were Six, seven, eight, nine, some somewhere around that range. Back of the leaders in the AL wild card race, they would have probably made the playoffs. If they didn't get off to such an awful start last season. They are a talented team. Like I said, they have the Cy Young winner last year and Blake Snell, who's he is definitely a top five pitcher in the league. He's got very, very good stuff. They added Charlie Morton in the offseason, who's coming off pretty good back to back season with the with the Astros. He is last two seasons as ERAs were both under the three seven mark, which is which is pretty which is good for a starting pitcher. So he's shown that he can be a starting option in the big league. So that's definitely gonna help them as the year progresses as well. He's got good stuff. Their third starter that they have is Tyler Glasnow, who kind of was really, really he had high expectations in the Pirates organization. They kind of waited around for him. They, I think one of the main reasons why they traded Chris Archer is because they thought he could be the ace of their franchise. He didn't live up to that. He was a high prospect through their system. And he ends up going to the race. He has been good so far for the Rays. Hopefully, he can be that highest prospect that the Pirates thought of him the rest of the season. Because that will definitely give the Rays a boost as well. If they continue on with this good pace that they're on so far. Now, they're hitting. They have guys like Tommy Pham, Yandy Diaz, Kevin Kiermaier, Willie Adams. Some guys that you really haven't heard of. Really? Nah, uh, to be honest, Tommy Pham might be one that kind of rings a bell. He's an underrated hitter. He had a good season last year. He was with the Cardinals. If you kind of if it's kind of ringing a bell right now, he was with the Cardinals. He's underrated in the field as well. He didn't play every day with the Cardinals, but he was a solid player for the Cardinals. Once he came home for the raise, he's kind of blossomed, I think, a little bit. Yandy Diaz is a young prospect as well as well as Willie Adems. They're two promising young prospects for them that have a chance to be very, very good. They play next to each other in the field. Yandy plays at third. Adems plays at short. They can be two very, very good players in the outfield there. They have Kevin Kiermaier who gets on base. He's not the best hitter at all by any means, but he is very, very good in center field. He's won a gold glove. He seemingly tracks down Any ball that comes his way or any ball that comes in the outfield, which is pretty remarkable to see. It's got a bunch of plays on Sports Center top tens as well. The Rays could seriously make the playoffs this year. And to me, it would not be shocking at all because of what they have constructed right now with their roster. I think their roster is very, very underrated. And if you get a chance to watch them this season, that is one team that I think you would have a fun time watching, especially with Blake Snell on the mound. In the next topic here, I'm going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder for a few quick minutes here. I want to discuss some things that people probably already see, but I think it's important to kind of point out what is going on with the Thunder. The Thunder are going to lose a series to Portland. They're currently down 3-1. Game 5 is tonight, on a Tuesday night. I am recording this segment of my podcast on a Tuesday night, and I am releasing it tomorrow on a Wednesday. So some of you that are hearing this may already say that they have lost already, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. It may be shocking to some people, and maybe not so much to others, that they're actually going to lose a series to Portland. I'm a little shocked, considering that they have two of the best three players in the series, with Paul George and Westbrook and the other being Dame Lillard, obviously. And usually when you have two of the three best players in the series, you win the series because that's usually what happens in the playoffs when you have stars. That's what it comes down to. The stars deliver in the playoffs. But right now, Westbrook and Paul George have not been playing the greatest. So that's kind of hurting them. And it looks like right now that McCollum may actually be the third best player in the series, it's looking like. They have an advantage also at the center position with Steven Adams over Cantor. Cantor really can't defend any pick and rolls at all. When he's putting pick and rolls, it seems like he's getting destroyed at times, at other times, not so much. Portland's done a good job of putting Zach Collins in and as well as Myers Leonard in closing time. I know they've done that uh, a couple of games there during the series, so that's helped them defensively at least. So, what happens from here with the Thunder? The Thunder are kind of in a pickle as far as the money situation. They are in the luxury tax right now, and they're going to be in the luxury tax next season as well. They're going to be 20 to $30 million into the luxury tax when the free agency period begins. So what do you really do? Uh, that kind of limits them on what they can really sign. They desperately, desperately need shooting. I mean. How on a team with two superstars like Westbrook and George do you not have any shooting at all? They cut Alex Abrines, who was a shooting guard for them. He was a pretty good shooter. Not the best, but he was an okay three-point shooter. They cut him to save money in their luxury tax bill, which they had to do. They were, they were at 1.50 million dollars in the luxury tax bill. They cut it down to around 20 to 30 range. Like I said, they're going to be in that range next season again. So I understand why they did it, but he was, aside from George, maybe there's the second best three point shooter. Um, who else is a good shooter on their team? Jeremy Grant. I know this season he shot like 38, 39% from three. I don't think he really shot that many threes per game, though. I know he's improved as a jump shooter, but he is not the jump shooter that you want when depending on trying to hit a three. Dennis Schroeder, I mean, for his NBA career, he shot less than 35% for his NBA career. Steven Adams obviously can't shoot the ball at all. Raymond Fallon, I, I honestly don't even know why he's on an NBA roster but he is he can he doesn't shoot the ball well anymore at all. Neurons all well obviously cannot shoot. Markeith Morris. It looks like he's it looks like the role with him on this team. I don't really know what his role is with them. At least on the Wizards, you know the kind of production that he would give you. He doesn't really even do that. With the Thunder, like none of these guys can shoot the ball from range. It's just I, I don't know. It's really shocking to me the construction of this roster that they currently have. And then another guy that I want to talk about, Patrick Patterson. They're paying this guy almost six million years, six million dollars a year to do what? Like, what is he doing? He sits on the bench and backs up Russell Westbrook when Utah Jazz fans are talking him and saying racial slurs and all that kind of stuff what is Patrick Patterson doing for them is he not playing because of his defensive liability obviously he cannot guard the post whatsoever I I, I don't know what they're paying him for if he's not going to be playing at all I mean to begin with I really don't think he's that good of a player but I don't know it's just it's just really shocking with him as well their second best shooter really besides Paul George's. Honestly, Terrence Ferguson, he probably is their second best shooter on the team, which really isn't saying much. I think he shot like 38, 39 from three. I don't know how many threes he actually attempted. Uh, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me to actually think Terrence Ferguson is the second best three-point shooter on this team. And then with Andre Roberson, he was supposed to be their starting shooting guard. He It was reported by Royce Young, who's one of the beat writers for the Thunder on Twitter. I saw it a month ago. He's not anywhere near a return to game action. Okay, Andre Roberson has been out for a year and a half, and he's still not anywhere near game action. Now, one of the things with the Thunder that I do want to point out, because Andre Roberson is a good perimeter defender, they were ranked fourth in defensive rating this season so they're they're a talented team obviously with Roberson they would be even better I mean I don't know how much better because they were fourth as a total they were fourth total as a defensive team rating Andre Roberson would give them a boost there but he really can't even shoot the ball as well and he's making like 10.5 million dollars next season Steven Adams is making like 26 million dollars next season it's just really really confusing to me the construction of this roster. And Another interesting stat that I, that I found, which is absolutely mind-blowing, and this stat does not include Steven Adams because, obviously, he does not shoot threes at all. Out of their seven guys that are in the rotation right now, aside from Steven Adams, like I said, they shoot 29% from the three-point range, 29% from the three-point range, so that's Schroeder, Jeremy Grant, Markeith Morris, New Orleans Noel, Raymond Felton, Russell Westbrook. Twenty nine percent from three. As that is very, very bad. Um, I just don't understand. Like I've said a couple times here, how you develop a roster. Paul George and Westbrook. Westbrook, a guy that wants to get to the rim a lot. Paul George over the last couple years has developed into a really good, a pretty good three point shooter. He's a good catch and shoot, shoot a good catch and shoot player now. I know a lot of the times. Uh, with Indiana during his young years he wanted to get to the rim a lot he's a good shooter now but just besides from him it's just very very confusing to see and when you get to the playoffs here I know that the Thunder were ranked like third or whatever they were before Paul George was injured and things like that kind of happen when you get to the playoffs and the game slows down and the rotations are kind of get limited you play less players in the playoffs your stars play more minutes if you do not have any shooting at all and the game is slowed down with the half-court sets, how do you expect to score? I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons why the Blazers are actually going to win this series, because they have guys who can catch and shoot, and they have guys who can get their own shot from, whether it be 20 to 27 feet out from the three-point range, Like, like Lillard, like McCollum, I know. I know. More Harkless doesn't really do it that much, but I mean, more Harkless is if he's wide open in this series, he's gonna make a three. Seth Curry coming off the bench. I mean, some of these guys for Portland, they have more shot makers and more better three point shooters, and that's why they're gonna win the series. That's what it's looking like here. And just because Oklahoma City is a good defensive team, it's clearly not mattering right now in the playoffs at all in this series. Like I said, they're going to lose in the first round. I don't really know what's going to happen here because of the luxury tax situation. They don't even have a big guy who can stretch the floor for them, not even just put pressure on the opposing defense. At least with Portland here, Zach Collins can stretch the floor. Myers Leonard can stretch the floor. Enos Cantor at least can shoot a little bit as well. I mean, I know he can shoot. I mean, he can't shoot threes, but he's shooting from 15 to 20 feet out. They don't even have big guys who can put the defense in... This cautious situation where they need to say, "Oh, we need to get out and shooter. We need to get on the big man shooter here," and that's kind of going back to what Patrick Patterson talking about. Patrick Patterson. I thought they had that in him, but they clearly don't. He can't defend anyone. He can't defend the post, and I think that's why he's not playing. This construction is just so bad. I think, and I don't really know where they go from here with them being in the luxury tax pretty deeply. I I don't really know when they got shorter. I know a lot of people said it was a good pickup. I thought it was a good pickup as well, but now after watching what's going on in the playoffs and their need for more primary shooting, I don't really know if it was the best pickup. It's going to be interesting to see how they get themselves out of this hole that they're currently in and what they do to get themselves some some sort of shooting and some sort of shot creators that could help them ultimately with Westbrook and Paul George on the roster. In the fourth and final topic today that I am going to be discussing is who is the second best player right now in the MLB. To get it out of the way, I think that Mike Trout is the best player, and anyone who watches baseball on a consistent basis would actually agree with me that he is. He does everything at the plate and everything in the field. He's amazing, absolutely amazing. The second best player in the MLB right now, I think, is Christian Jelich. Since the All Star break last year, Yelich is hitting over 360, inclu- which includes the playoffs where, when he was amazing last year in the playoffs as well. It's considering, it's incredible considering that he's had over 400 plate appearances in that time from the All-Star break last year. Uh, it's, it's just amazing that he's hitting over 360 with all those plate appearances. Just the other day, ESPN tweeted out, that Yelich Yelich has 13 home runs before the month of May. The highest ever before the month of May was set by A-Rod and Pujols, which is 14 home runs. Yelich has eight days to hit two more home runs, which I think is very likely um, considering the the path that he's currently on this season and as well as last year after the All-Star break. The thing that I absolutely love about Yelich is even with his power and very good averages that he's put up the last two seasons – He also swipes a lot of bases. He steals bases. Last season, he had over 20. He had 22 stolen bases. And so far through the 25 games, I think, that the Brewers are in right now, he has three, which is okay right now. Um, Some guys that are up for discussion as a second-best player, Nolan Arenado from the Rockies, Bryce Harper from the National Not the Nationals anymore, the Phillies, I'm sorry. Goldschmidt for the Cardinals, Carrera for the Astros, Jose Altuve for the Astros, Chris Bryant for the Cubs. He beat out all of those guys last year's in stolen bases with his 22. While Yelch does everything that those guys do, he does even better for the most part, considering the home runs, the RBIs, the averages. He does better for the most part. Beats out all those guys plus the stolen bases. Yelich almost won the Triple Crown last year, which would have been a historic cap to what he did in the second half of the season, as only a list of about 10 to 15 guys have won that award. Yelich, for his career, is almost a three hundred hitter. I think he's a shade below that. So you got a guy who's a three hundred hitter, and all of a sudden, the last couple years, he's hitting 30 home runs a season. He's stealing 20-plus bases. He's going to hit over 100 RBIs again this season. He's becoming a force in the MLB all of a sudden out of nowhere. Um, Aside from just hitting also he does have a gold glove, which is nice to see. He did have a gold glove in his young years with the Marlins there when he was a young player. He was very good in the field. Um, So In one of his first seasons, he has a gold glove. He has been a finalist for the gold glove the last three seasons in the national league he did not win the award some guys that beat him out were sterling Monte from the pirates he's a very good fielder so aside from the hitting Yelich has also been able to show that he's extremely effective in the field which is very nice to see when you're kind of naming these top five players another guy that i think is definitely up there for the second best player i would say aside from Yelich would be Nolan Arenado just because he has so many gold glove awards and what he does at the plate is amazing. But getting back to Yelich, it's kind of funny to see Yelich being named the second best player right now in the MLB because when he was with the Marlins, I don't think a lot of people saw this. He was the third best outfielder with the Marlins behind Giancarlo Stanton and Marcelo Zuna. He was the third best one. And it's crazy to see that now... He is probably the second best player in the MLB. It's just crazy to see that. But that's what happens and what can be shown once you get traded. A lot can happen for you, like it has for Christian Yelich with the Brewers. I would take him as the second best player in the league at this current moment. And I expect him to be a force in the upcoming years. I think that the Brewers have a very nice lineup where he can find a kind of fit in that three that three spot, that four spot at times when they put when Craig Council puts him in that spot. He has a very good chance to just keep becoming a force and keep just even getting better. Hopefully, he has another chance at the Triple Crown Award this year. That would be awesome to see. That concludes our podcast for this episode. Thank you for listening to my second episode. Um, Real quick, I just want to give a real quick shout-out to some people... Uh, to two to two people specifically um Zach Peck for editing my podcast each week and another shout out to Mcilwauke for making me a sweet logo thank you and i will see you guys next week with some very nice interesting topics as well I keep my, head high. I got my carry me i don't know free My dreams will rescue me I keep my faith strong I ask the Lord to follow me I've been unfaithful I don't know why you call on me